here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. SAFM 106.2 FM in Tohoyando. Public Affairs Engaging Social Issues. Public Affairs indeed engaging social issues with the Department of Social Development's Deputy Minister, Ms. Andrieta Bukhopanezulu. Mebukhopanezulu, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us again. You are a friend of the show, and it's so great to have you again on the show. Welcome. International Day of Families and a conversation on the theme of child headed families. Perhaps just give us a bird's eye view of the picture in the South African context. We certainly do know of the socio-economic challenges. We are living in those socio-economic challenges. But perhaps within the socio-economic dynamics of the country, certain things will affect us more than they might others. As the department engaging the question of child-headed homes, what can you share with us that should be jarring for the average South African to hear and to understand that this is something that is happening in our very own society? That should not be. Um, I don't think the issues around a child-headed household, maybe I should start by saying uh, families matter in everything that we do, and hence the day is allocated by the United Nations for us to revisit uh, and to elevate issues around the family. Uh, we launched the Families Matters program last year just to get South Africans back to the conversation of the village that used to raise the child that we all contributed to breaking in different ways than one. And um, the issues around child-headed households are brought about by a number of things, and a lot of them are not necessarily anybody's, you know, you can't control when parents die and leave uh, children. And we know a lot of us, we don't even want to hear the issue around a will, for an example. Um, and we leave our, we die, pass on, without any will, uh, without even having a trust, or without even having just appointed guardians for our children. And this is a very uh, a reality that we deal with. And that us as parents being unable to do that, uh, find this way where the master, uh, as the guardian of children, uh, together with social development, and justice must now deal with a long, prolonged uh, uh, inheritance struggle and all of these things. Now, there's three things that um, are very important for South Africans to actually ponder around as we mark International Day of the Family. The first one is we still have HIV and AIDS in the right which was one of the biggest contributors to child-headed households because a lot of children lost both parents. The whole aspect of inequality, unemployment, and poverty also led to a lot of uh, child-headed households because I, uh, I can't 
look after my own children and by virtue find it difficult to accept my sister's children and they end up either staying alone or put on foster care or sent to an orphanage. And there's a lot of other things which I think we can have that discussion uh, the next time I visit the show. Um, the third aspect is for us to never forget that um, today children are having children. As a nation, we have a nine-year-old mother, 10-year-old mother, 11-year-old mother. Just sitting and thinking about it, what kind of a family is that going to be? And what kind of a child at 10 has given birth? That means the gap between that child and their baby is 10 years. And this child is still a child that wants to play, but they are now a parent. Uh, so the context of child-headed households <coughs> come in a whole lot of different dynamics. Hence the theme, the demographic challenges and its impact on families which is the theme for today. Thank you so much, Deputy Minister of Social Development, Henrietta Bukhopanizulu. We also joined, I beg your pardon for not saying this a little bit earlier, I certainly meant no disrespect to Dr. Catherine Hall, Senior Researcher at UCT's Children's Institute. Perhaps this is a good time to bring her in this conversation after having heard what the Deputy Minister would have said in remarking to the open-ended question as to what are some of the jarring things that we can hear and understand a little bit better as our South African society on the challenge of child-headed households. We certainly did hear, Catherine, what the Minister says contributes or has at least historically contributed to this conversation, certainly to the kinds of extremes in which we are. Can you share some an insights perhaps based on what she said and what some of the research that the Children's Institute is revealing for us from the perspective of understanding as a society better what we are talking about and some of the hardcore challenges that are a reality for people by definition under the age of 18 who are in charge of homes? Hi, um, so thank you so much and thanks for having this conversation. Um, yeah, it's it's quite hard to study childhood households to make the you know the subject of the study because they are relatively hard to find. Um, this is not to say that there are very few children you know, from this from the statistics we see. It looks like somewhere between twenty and thirty thousand children are living in childhood households. Um, so these are these are households that are very vulnerable. Um, it is. A, I mean, it's a small proportion of the 20 million children in the country, but um, they still are vulnerable in many ways. Um, I agree with the Deputy Minister said about uh, employment and poverty being very much of a part of the context um, in which these child, childhood households are formed. Um, from the stats we have, and we, we, we analyze regularly statistics from SA from big national household surveys. And there we can count households where all the resident members are under the age of 18. So these are what we would define as child-headed or child-only households. Um, and um, they, are, they, they tend to be very poor. They're often rural. Um, in fact, most of them, over all the years that we've looked, 
are situated mainly in the Eastern Cape, in KwaZulu-Natal and in Limpopo. Um, those three main provinces are home to child-headed households. Um, we think that it's related to unemployment and poverty, partly because those households are very poor, but also because it looks as if they are often related to the migrant labor of parents. And this is an interesting thing, is that in all the, in, in all the surveys that we've looked at, we find that most child-headed households are not orphans. Um, they are, we, there are many children in South Africa who are orphaned, although those rates have come down since the rollout of antiretrovirals. They've really come down since the late 2000s. Um, but found um, <clears throat> child in childhood households is um, they are often older children, teenagers, sometimes looking after younger children, although most of them are in fact single-person households. So think of, for example, a teenage boy living alone in a rural homestead who may have a mother who has gone to, to look for work in the city. So we see them also sometimes part, partly as, as, as temporary arrangements, as family strategies to keep a rural homestead functioning. Um, while parents seek work, which of course in, in South Africa is very difficult to find. Um, so I, I, I slightly disagree with the, with the first contextual point is that uh, they're not child-headed households are not mainly formed when parents die. What we have found is that even with large numbers of orphan children, there's something like uh, there are around a million children in South Africa who have lost their mother, for example, um, most of those children are taken in by relatives. Um, child-headed households are something different, and we could get just now perhaps to also the difference between you know households which only have children, and the the definition of child-headed households in the Children's Act, which is something slightly different. Um, but um, yeah, perhaps the the deputy minister would be best placed to explain that. Yeah, well, we've got her until the top of the hour, and we certainly have. Yes. Can I just get thumbs up if Tulani is on, ladies and gentlemen, because I do want to have this conversation. Unfortunately, he's not on um, Tulani Madondo from the Cliptown Youth Program because he represents, if you will, the voice of those young people. And in an ideal world, we would like to have young people, but I think for the purposes of this topic, we're probably better off not having, temporarily at least, <laughs> that conversation with them. But the dispute certainly that has been raised by Catherine there Masulu um, is that in the majority of cases it's not necessarily that child-headed households are formed through death. For whatever the reason, I mean, I, I want you to obviously respond to that and I'm putting you to terms perhaps if you can respond to that just so that we can get a better understanding as to the positions assumed by both of you on that subject, how we get to that point. But at any rate, it wouldn't change the fact that it means at a minimum that the social order in South Africa is broken somewhere that we can have this phenomenon in the kinds of numbers we have. Because from there, you can obviously tell where other socioeconomic problems, or not necessarily economic, but social problems in this country stem from. For instance, I'll mention one, which is something that as a nation we have to deal with. And the fact that, according to data from the World Health Organization, South Africa has one of the highest rates of teenage pregnancy globally, and we're talking about one, or nearly one, in four girls falling pregnant before the age of 20. So we're talking about young people 
unfortunately falling into the trap of creating more problems. Young people who, in this instance, we are talking about a high number of them who are not supervised, who are being required to deal with things that many adults struggle with or get by, just get by. But in any event, it is not a phenomenon that children have to deal with or should not have to deal with, and that is leading households. First of all, what is your response to the point that Catherine raised saying that it's not always death that is a result of this, but over and above that, are we dealing with the secondary social problems occasioned by this phenomenon? Uh, let me say that I was making an example uh, when I said uh, parents die, but definitely it's not by death only. Um, let me take a typical example because I can put a whole lot of examples mm. uh, uh, that leads to a, 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 a how, whether it's a child-headed household or it's a household headed by children or at the end of the day, it's all about when we move away from definitions, it's about children looking after themselves, period. Let, let's put aside... The, 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 the what the children's act says and what these are children who live alone. Whether it's a children of a domestic worker that left their own children in the village to go and look after you and me children in Johannesburg, they are still heading and, 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 and being alone. Whether it's about femicide, which is now the rule of the order of the day, where intimate partners kill the others and the other one goes to jail and those children are left alone, it's still the same thing. Whether it was what we experienced during COVID, where when alcohol was closed, parents went into unsupervised detoxification, which was the first time both parents were in the house, but they are all sitting there without having realized that the two glasses of red wine or three beers or whatever they drink after work have actually made them alcoholics and alcohol dependent. And for the first time, they were supposed to parent their children without that three or four glasses. And a lot of our South African parents could not do that. And what happened? Our child line lines were buzzing with children who are reaching out for help because now they must cook for themselves, feed themselves while mommy and Daisy are stuck on the couch because they are now uh, in need of the alcohol. So I want to move away from that to say we can talk there's a hundred reasons. I said there's a village because we used to say it takes a village to raise a child. And in that context, we did not have orphans. And in that context, we would not have the concept because we belonged to an expanded family. Today, we are nuclear families. And the support that used to be there for ourselves and for our children isn't there anymore. We pay for the service because now we are uh, uh, becoming a smaller unit than the extended one. Let me also conclude by saying on this particular matter. Um, 
you know, we have, as South Africans, lost a way somewhere. And I can say that with authority. Uh, whether it's issues around drugs, just on Saturday, for your ex- for an example, I was in First Loran, facilitating uh, one of our social behavioral change programs called Chomi for 10 to 14-year-olds. And a 10-year-old girl stood up and said, I live with my mom who's a drug addict, and my dad is a drug addict. And by virtue, I'm the only child I'm raising myself in the presence of my parents who are both addicts. What would you define that as? Today, we are in Platfontaine. Where we are in Platfontaine, we are actually shining a spotlight on the school and the quest, a, a family structure. So that we actually understand how the modern society has actually distracted, let me say, the coy and the friend way of living, which has a direct impact on the high prevalence of teenage pregnancy, which is the example you made. We have problems in South Africa, a lot of social problems, from alcohol misuse to drugs to um, parenting problems, to uh, unemployment, to inequality, to high prevalence of diseases, blood pressure, strokes, you name it. And for us to be able to protect children better, and for us to be able to actually rebuild the village we need to first look at why has it become acceptable for a single parenting system to become the order of the day. I want a child, I'm not married, and you don't have to have a child uh, through marriage. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying I, have a, I want a child and I get, I get pregnant and then I have the child that I wanted. I cut the father out of the child's life because all I wanted was a child. And then I forget that I am raising a very angry child. And I facilitate a lot of dialogue. But in the eyes of South Africans, 57% of high codes are headed by women. Where are the fathers? Why are the fathers not taking responsibility for their children. Why is it okay for us to just become ATMs and just spend the money and agree that it's enough? Or why us as women deny men access to their children because he doesn't love me anymore or I want nothing to do with whoever it is? So when all is said and done, as South Africa, we are feeding our children in more than one way. And as a department, we are doing our utmost best within the challenges of lack of social workers who could be preventing and identifying 
So, yeah. Yeah, there are a couple of disturbing things in, in, in some of the concessions made by the minister. And, and of course, it, it is a society-wide issue where we can't have this conversation, if you will, absent other contributory or contemporaneous conversations, if you will, there, Catherine. But if we just get back to the playing field a bit, specifically International Day of Families, the nuclear family set up or what has come to characterize many of South Africa's relationships in the African custom sense, the extended family to which the Deputy Minister makes reference to. We seem to have lost our way, even though we use this, and I'm going to call it a platitude because it doesn't really come to define the reality that pertains when we talk about it takes a village to raise a child, and yet we are talking in the numbers we are about the challenges I would think about that because I would also like the listener at home to participate in this conversation. Where have we as a society lost? I mean, you've heard the picture. I mean, there, there, there can't be a clearer picture as to the challenges. Where in society have we lost it? The migrant labor system might contribute. It isn't the factor, granted. HIV and AIDS might have contributed. It is not the factor. COVID certainly exposed the existing fissures in our society. It isn't the factor. There has to be more. We can relate. We can say things that are a direct measure of what we are now dealing with, and that is the pandemic within the pandemic of many pandemics, child-headed households. Child-headed households, I beg your pardon, 086-000-2032. That's the number to dial. Participate, please, on our WhatsApp facility. 0614104107. I'd like to get some voice notes on this. I'd like to engage the callers on this. But how do you respond in, in, in summing up the picture that we are truly dealing with here, Catherine, from what the minister had said? Um, yes, I think I think it, it, it has become broader, and I think the minister was talking about a range of what one might call social challenges or social ills, um, which are, you know, are far beyond the specific topic of child-headed households. Um, just to comment on a couple of things. Sorry, Catherine. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes. May I interrupt and just ask that we take the break now? We, we are struggling with your line a bit. I don't know if there's a signal issue between ourselves and where you are, but just I'm going to ask the question again just for reference sake. What do you make of what the minister said? Let's take the break now with the hope that your response will also solicit more contributions from our listeners at home. And the fundamental question is, how do we, as an African society that talks of and about Ubuntu, that talks about it takes a village to raise a child, if all of us will be jarred by the idea that your child at 15 or 16 is a caregiver, is a parent to his or her younger sibling, separated only by a couple of years, two, three, in some instances even more than that, there are tragedies in life that happens, and I suppose we need to engage where the social system in South Africa catches those who fall through those cracks. But the idea that are these kinds of cracks in the magnitude in which they are is what I'm really trying to probe. How do we as a society get there before we even start talking solutions? After the break, 86 2032 I am hoping to field calls and responses to why are children raising themselves after the break. You are listening to Songhez Omabete on SAFM. Let's hope we've sorted out some of the network challenges. In the cap, we have Dr. Catherine Hall, senior researcher at UCT's Children's Institute. 
Today is International Day of Families, and in South Africa we are remarking on child-headed families and perhaps what solutions in South Africa there may be. That's a conversation after how in the first place we get there. A response to what the Minister has said. Catherine. Um, yes, um, I think that the, the Minister was referring to a, a range of social ills which are more general than child-headed households, and many of them may be true. We've touched on the issue of, um, you know, community mm. The households have become smaller. Um, this, I, I think that we must not underestimate the impact of long-term labor migration in this country, which really fractured families. Um, at the same time, you know, globally, um, as women are more empowered, more able to earn money, uh, women are making, they are making more decisions about their own childbearing. And um, we've had declining marriage rates really from the 1960s and they continue to decline. Um, I think it's, it's not really um, the function of the state to determine what a household should be, but to um, move with whatever um, social phenomena are present in society and to ensure that those households get the right, the, the best support that they need. Um, if we come back to child-headed households, a critical thing is, and whether they are households where parents are living elsewhere or where, you know, where children are, are fending for themselves, firstly to acknowledge that they often are, they are not always on their own. They may be neighbours or other people. And this is recognised in the Children's Act, which can designate a household as a child-headed household, often with another adult to supervise that household, whether it be a neighbour or an aunt living nearby. Um, we need to ensure that those households um, are, are safe, and this is difficult in, a, in what is a very violent society, um, with, with often poor security and police presence in poor areas particularly. Um, and we need to ensure that those children have access to social grants. And what we have seen is that often they don't. Um, now, any child over the age of 16 can receive a social grant for their siblings and for themselves. I'm talking of the child support grant, which is 500 grand a month. That is simply a matter of alleviating some of the financial burden for that household. Um, so it's important to have those households recognized and to have those children able to apply for grants um, and also where needed. And if they are designated a child, as a child household in section of the Children's Act, um, they are also then meant to receive um, support and supervisory services from social workers to ensure that they're coping, to ensure that they can attend school. I think the minister was exactly right when she said that they have to work within massive constraints because there are not nearly enough social workers in this country and they're often not available to respond um, when, when there are calls for help from these households. So, um, you know, there's a real need for to increase social workers, to employ social work graduates, many of whom are unemployed, um, yeah, we're struggling to hear you there, Catherine. I beg your pardon. I'm just going to move on. I mean, I, I take the point that social workers are in scarce supply in this country, but social workers are not a response to the problem. They, they, they might alleviate the problem by making it a little 
by, by granting a little bit more dignity in the home and for sure making sure that such statistics, the children, such homes are captured in the resource distribution of the state. They are known by those entities of state that ought to know such that planning and policy can be better responsive. But it doesn't take away from the point that we have a problem. Who of you at home have previously been leaders of the home at an age where you should not have been? And perhaps I should just make the ambit a little bit wider. You don't necessarily have to have been a child at the time, but I can't imagine a 21 or 22-year-old should have that responsibility of looking after one's siblings who are teenagers. I mean, teenagers are difficult at best with mom and dad in the household simply because they are teenagers. How much more when mom and dad are absent and it's an elder sibling who is oneself trying to discover the world, much less having to lead a household in that regard. So can we share about some of the things that contribute? Perhaps there's something we have not discussed which might be a peculiarity for you, but once we have a discussion about it, we can then start picking up the trends that create these social problems. We do have a call. I'm hoping to field more on International Day of Families, Engaging Child-Headed Households. We have Mohale from Kwakwa in the Free State. Mohale, thanks for calling. Thank you, Butsangezo, and thank you to your guest in studio on the line. Mm, go for it, please. Um, yes, man. Um, I'm, I'm glad you're having this topic because it's one that I feel particularly strong about. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a person who comes from a disconnected uh, community, one that is regarded as a previously um, you know, marginalized community, and I see a lot of these cases, particularly where I'm from. And my viewpoint is that I feel that it has become easy for us to put on or to have spaces and projects that deteriorate society. And I'm talking about how it has become easy for almost anybody to have uh, spaces like taverns and pubs. And I imagine this is because everybody's looking for jobs and looking for ways to make means, but we do not realize the knock-on effects of these because we lose parents as a result of these. And effectively, we have a lot of children that do not have parents. Um, I remember particularly in, in, in a time where we didn't have water and we had jungle tanks distributing water in the community and a lot of child-headed households would struggle during these times. A lot of granny-headed households would, would struggle during these times. So it comes down to things such as those. But think about how township malls also do not have la- libraries or bookstores, but yet they are riddled with taverns and pubs and mortuaries. What does it say about us? But these are the smaller things that I'm talking about, the in-between that eventually cause these bigger problems that we find ourselves talking about. All behavior is a function of context and the environment within which it takes place. Mm, mm, mm. So if I... Yes, sorry. No, 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 stay on the line there, because I think, Catherine, this is now starting to get to some of the root causes and even how society is arranged it does create, if not immediately, certainly in the long term, the kinds of problems about which we are now talking. I mean, it's just unthinkable that you would have a school in a neighborhood where across the road from that school in an environment that is not designated for business, you would have a tavern. I mean, this is the importance now of bylaws. This is the importance of spatial planning and and issues around where in society should certain outlets be. A tavern clearly does not belong in an environment where there are children who are supposed to be getting their developmental needs met. Just as much as you should not be finding certain spaces where the designation isn't planned for that. So in other words, 
Mohale talks of the environment creating certain behaviors that manifest down the line as certain social problems. Can you expound on that from the kind of space that you operate from? Okay, um, sorry, uh, the call dropped for a short while. So we, we now move in, we're talking about so, social problems more generally now, I think. Um, well, well, we're talking about social case, problems more generally, but specifically yeah, this yeah. one and how this is created by, for instance, the edifice of society. He makes and refers to instances where there aren't features in certain societies or facilities is a better word in certain societies that challenge for the better in line with development, the attention of that community, the lack of libraries, the lack of mm. play parks, the lack mm. of schools with sporting mm. facilities and extra mural mm. curricula that, if you like, absorb people in that community for the better. And in the yeah. result, in the absence of that, for nature does yeah. not allow for a vacuum, this is where now you create room for a tavern yeah. opposite the school to mm. be there and as a result, mm. the community not long thereafter will resemble the fact that they are mm. in an environment with a tavern opposite mm. a school. Exactly mm. mm. um, right. And I think I know our attention to something which is about which is about the planning of residential areas. Um, I did a very detailed study on on migration within South Africa, current labour migration, and found that often women migrate and can't bring their children to live with them in cities because when people come to cities to look for work, they often end up living in very risky, informal areas. And those areas are not suitable for bringing children. They're often not safe. They often have communal services, which are not safe for children to use. They're not, you don't have the social infrastructure, the schools. Um, and, you know, to come back to child-headed households, this may be part of the context that we're looking at, is about decisions that families attempt to make in the best interest of children. Um, not to bring them to places which are high risk like that. I'm not saying that's the only explanation, but it's mm. one aspect that we're seeing. Um, so, yes, I think that, I mean, really my sense is for years and years, we had a Group Areas Act um, which created underdeveloped parts of cities on the periphery of cities um, where poor and black people were forced to live it did not encourage um, family uh, accommodation. In fact, families, women and children were explicitly excluded by the Group Areas Act. Although the legislation has fallen away, I don't think that we do enough in terms of city planning and um, the provision of resources to enable families to live together safely in places where they would want to live and where children can grow up without huge risks and with the services they need. Let me interrupt there. I mean, I, I, I take the point for what it is, but is it always going to be a case where people have the aspiration to live in the city? Is it optimal that the city life becomes the way of life? What about rural development here, Ms. Henrietta Bukhubane mm. Zulu? What about the integrity associated with, and I'm not suggesting for a moment that what became of apartheid special planning should in any way be glorified. But it is what it is, that the majority of South African historically, of course, come from these spaces that are outside the mainstream of what city and town life does have. And the reality is the movement from rural to urban has one not only facilitated the kind of urban decay we see, but it has just made for the proliferation of the shanty towns and shack dwellers and attended problems on top of other challenges. 
What have we missed? Where or rather is the trick missed in ensuring that where the people are, their design of their environment allows them to live with a sense of dignity? There are social programs that are built on by education programs and economic activity such that whatever may have been inherited, not all is lost and yet a semblance of dignity can be carved by attending to properly and with meaning rural development in our South African society. To stymie the flow, which can always be explained by, for instance, migration for economic activity, if the people at home can have access to that, education facilities and things that are developmental in kind where they are. I, I, I'd rather uh, see I agree with you on the comment you've made. But I think we also need to just take it a better step back and acknowledge that there is an acknowledgement that rural communities are underdeveloped hands. There is the integrated uh, rural uh, uh, investment strategy that is beginning to to actually take shape and 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 uh, change the lives of uh, rural communities, and I can go on and on and on. But at the same time, we also need to understand that it is not a given that when you have all services or all in amenities in a rural area, people will not move. Except let's not let's not understand let's not underestimate that we do have the issue of freedom of movement in this country. So uh, as much as it, it comes with its own challenges, we also have a very high uh, migration, not only of South Africans, but of those coming outside of South Africa uh, to come and add to the exactly what you have described. But let me also say um, it really would be a textbook exercise. Uh, so if we are going to look at uh, the issues of child-headed households or the issues of South Africa's social uh, uh, challenges, uh, and I can add social crimes to it from a perspective where we need to best identify or find fault because you know, there's a lot. The damage that has been done uh, over years, migrant labor system, the denial of women as minors, the list is very long. That contributes to where we find ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you spoke about a tavern uh, next to a school. Um, Today, as I said, we are in platform days. And I want to say, to use that as an example, there aren't a lot of taverns. Neither is there a lot of taverns or schools as the scenario you have painted. But there's a high misuse and abuse of alcohol because people make their own decisions. And I also want to say, in engaging with children, children are no longer, to an extent, meeting alcohol in the tavern. 
they are missing it at home. And yes, we have and we agree, we have too many, too many heavens in one space. And a lot of them are not legal. And they are the ones that you would find next to a school, you'd find because the other ones, when they apply for a license at the liquor board, they get to be told that, no, you cannot have a travel here, you cannot have a travel there. No, you need this, you need that. But Henrietta's cover, she just somehow opens it anywhere because it's illegal. I have a minute for you, Madam Deputy Minister. Okay, because it's illegal, um, that is where all the wrong things happen. But as others, as I conclude, let us also stop contributing to the challenges of children. They send us at the gate of the tavern to get them alcohol. We go there and get it for them. South Africa, let's protect our children and let's appreciate the family. Because if we get it right at the family level, everything will go and we'll find our way back to where we were supposed to be. Excellent. You, you certainly have given me a conversation for another show altogether, South Africans and their relationship with alcohol. But for now, let's give you an opportunity, Catherine, to round up. The time is 20.58 at 20.59.30. I'm going to have to say goodbye because I have three messages that I really want to read. Okay. Um, yes, well, I think I'll just end off by saying um, I think it's very easy to demonize poor people and say that they behave badly. I, I, of course, there are there are many things that there are many poor behaviors. There are many things that people struggle to cope with. Um, alcohol is widely and illegally available, etc. Um, I think it's very important also to acknowledge that um, raising children requires huge input from families, financial, uh, nurturing care, a range of of a, a huge amount of time primarily spent by women. Um, and that work happens across households, in families, in very adverse conditions. Uh, I think the question really is how we can ensure that all children are registered and have birth certificates how we can ensure that all families who are entitled to social assistance can receive the assistance they need, how we can ensure that children have access to early child development, childhood development services and all the health services that they need, um, how um, we can ensure that children receive an adequate quality of education and responsive social welfare services. And these are all things that are particularly difficult for children in child-headed households to access, whether or not their parents are, are living elsewhere or are deceased. Um, so, so I think, you know, a lot of what we are uh, are, are describing is the need to improve the quality of services and the availability of services for children, while also responding to the changing nature of families as South Africa is and will become more urbanized over time while still retaining links to the rural areas, of course. This is, this is I mean, this is the, the projections. So we need to start reimagining cities in which children grow up. Um, 
I would have to leave it there, Catherine, um, senior researcher sure. at UCT's Children's yeah, Institute, okay. together with Minister or Deputy Minister Henrietta Bukhubane Zulu, Social Development Deputy Minister. I don't have time to read the messages now. I certainly shall do that, and I appreciate the voice note that has come through and the message that has come through quite literally at 21 hours. There are a few more that I'll certainly read in the new hour. It's 21 hours, and it's time for news with Mudupi Makhalimele.